Welcome back to episode 13 of the NP Dude. Lucky number 13. This is Jeff, the NP Dude, and I am giving nurse practitioners a voice, and that is all of our voices. So I want to hear from you. I want to hear questions, comments, concerns, ideas for future shows and topics. I'm getting a lot of good feedback on the Facebook groups and um, getting some good ideas. Most everything is revolving around legal stuff believe it or not. So I've touched a real nerve, right? And uh, some of the things that I'm seeing are mostly employment-related, contract-related, insurance-related. Those are the big question marks that everybody has questions on and and seems a lot of confusion. I'm seeing some good advice out there. I'm seeing a lot of really crappy advice on Facebook. So keep Facebook advice, you know, take it with a grain of salt because... I'm seeing stuff out there, and I, I just can't respond to all of it. And it starts Facebook battles, and people are, you know, entrenched in what they think is right, even though it's it may or may not be. And that's why I want to use this as an opportunity for people with with no voice to get it out there. So questions that people have and uh, the shouting on Facebook, I can give it a an audio. And uh, the, there's always the comments section in my podcast so that you guys, if you feel I'm wrong, I want to hear it. I want other people to hear it. I want to. I want to make sure we're we're closing the loop, so to speak, on on issues that we can we can uh, handle within our own community and not need to go to. Um, to the lawyers for every issue and not need to go to um, a larger population and, and show our cards, so to speak, with the medical profession. And we can show some solidarity on, on just the professional aspect of what we do. So that being said, let's get into the main topic. And I'm going to kind of use my Facebook here and I'm going to scroll through. So if I miss somebody's comments and I told you I was going to talk about it, I apologize. Um, send me another note or I will go back through things and try to catch up on miscellaneous on another show. Um, but the first one I want to talk about today is about contracts uh, for employment. And the question was, if you leave before your contract period is up, um, two questions. What's the, what's the customary time frame that you would give notice? Um, and do you owe them any money back if you decide to leave? And what do you do when you, 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 you've been there nine months, you have a one-year contract, and you hate it, and you're like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. What do you do, right? So th to answer the first question is everybody has the right to breach any contract that you want. There's nothing that's written in stone that says, if this is a bad deal, it's a bad deal, and I want to get out. You're allowed to do that. The law doesn't say that you are stuck in a, in a contract, especially a contract for employment. That's indentured servitude. And since you know we kind of broke away from serfdom a couple hundred years ago in England and, and uh, Europe, uh, it's been kind of frowned on. So indentured servitude is is not capable. Some A, a company can't say, you have to stay and work for me, period. But they can make it very painful for you to want to leave. So that's the main question is, what is that? What's the pain that you could feel if you want to breach the, breach the contract early? It depends. That's my favorite answer in the law. It really depends. Why? Why do I say that? Because it depends what you put in the contract. There's no statute that says out there that I'm aware of now, I'm, again, I'm, I'm an attorney in Ohio, so if you're in Georgia or Alabama and they have a statute that says that you have to pay a penalty of some kind, I don't know of it, and it's check with a lawyer there, but pff, my guess is it doesn't exist. There's no law that I'm aware of that forces you to pay someone back for breaching a contract early. However, 
if you get sued for breach of contract and the, the person suing you suffers a damage and they can prove what that damage is, then they could get that back. They could sue you for that money. Okay. So here's the example. You've been there nine months. You have a one-year contract and there's nothing in the contract that says any penalties are in. I hate to use penalties because that's frowned on in, in contract law, but there's no ramifications of you leaving early really spelled out well in the contract. There's no repayment clause. There's no, you know, whatever. There's no, there's nothing in there. It's silent. It doesn't say anything. And you leave nine, nine months into a one-year contract and now the company has to advertise for someone they have to um, uh, expend a headhunter fees. They have to spend money on um, administrative costs in trying to find someone. And these may be all quantifiable things. They can come up with numbers for all of these things that they would spend the money on. Okay. So, but here's what happens. They file the lawsuit. It takes 30 days for the complaint or 28, depends if you're in federal state, whatever. Um, it takes another, you know, 30 days for you to respond to it. So you're two months in to three months left of your contract. And in another month, your contract's up anyways. At that point, the case is pretty much moot. Now, if they suffered some kind of cost from that, say it's $3,000, it's going to cost more in attorney's fees to sue you for that $3,000. So is it really practical for them to sue you if you leave early? Probably not. So the question becomes, if you leave a month into a two-year contract, maybe they could sue you and get some money out of it. But in reality, they still have all their leads out there. They're really not suffering much damage from that. So you have to weigh the consequence of, yeah, I could get sued for breach of contract, but in reality, they're going to spend way more money than they're ever going to get out of me, and they're going to look like an ass of an employer if they sue me. And if they sue me for leaving a month or two or three early, chances are you're going to have a bad reputation and you're not going to attract the good talent to come work for you when you leave. So you have to play that on the other side as well. So is there ramifications? Yes, there could be. Is it realistic? Probably not, but that doesn't mean that some jerk's going to do it on principle. Some, you know, there's people that sue people all the time just because they feel it's the right thing to do. And so I, I think that kind of touches on that first question of can you leave before and do you owe them money back? No, unless it's in the contract. Now, the contract should be tied to something that's somewhat tangible. Here's what I mean. If you see in your contract that you have a provision stating if you leave or if you decide to leave before your contract term is up, then you would pay a certain fee that is associated with the costs of finding your replacement. And that cost has to be reasonable. Is a thousand or two or three thousand dollars reasonable? Yeah, probably. Is a hundred grand reasonable? Probably not. So the, you, you you have to make sure that when you're reading your contract that it makes sense and that you're willing to sign that deal. And that's just in your back of your mind saying, okay, now I, I know if I leave, they're basically going to take my last paycheck or two or whatever because they need to get recompensated for the cost of finding a new person. Now, think in mind, though, too, the closer closer you are towards the end of your contract period, they're going to, if you intend to leave and they have noticed that you're going to leave at the end of that contract, then they're already going to be spending that money anyways. So in the eyes of the law, the damages are going to be very, very little. 
if you get a good lawyer, if they're going to sue you, if you leave a month or two early. Now that's, that's kind of, um, um, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Now, as far as the question about part-time versus full-time practice in a private practice was the question. And I'm not going to use the person's name here, um, that did it just because I don't want to, there's a lot of people listening all over the country and I don't want to uh, divulge that. And I didn't ask if I could, but the, the question was about a specific part-time position and it doesn't matter part-time, full-time doesn't matter, but whatever the contract says for your, your, and I'm again, use the word penalties, even though penalty should never be written into a contract. It's, it's, um, uh, you know, liquidated damages or, you know, they use those types of words for that type of a, a provision in the contract. Now there was another question in here buried. And I think I, my other, uh, malpractice insurance, uh, episode 12 kind of answered most of that. So I'm assuming that those questions were covered. If you have any further questions about the malpractice, um, insurance statute of limitations and the tail coverage discussion. There's, um, I'm going to give a little bit more now, um, because I'm seeing some more questions and comments and a lot of bad advice. Um, it just, it, and I shouldn't say bad advice. It's just, it's specific for one individual's case. And when you say this is how it is for everyone, it causes a lot of problems and dis just miscommunication because just because it's how you had to do something is not at all, especially in insurance world, how it is for everyone. And I kind of touched on that in the malpractice um, uh, discussion. Another question um, that I saw in here, and it was a different thread completely, had to do with um, tail coverage and um, just what to do with it. And I kind of touched and, and let people know they could listen to episode 12. And I hope that they do, because I think I clear a lot of that up in there. Um, and and they, a lot of people are getting the understanding of the concept, right? And there was one person that had a really good comment in here, and it was about being in a specific type of practice. And when they left that type of practice, it, it, um, they they pretty much bought tail coverage, which was was appropriate because I'm guessing they went into a different scope of practice with a different type of policy under a new practice, and that is important because. And I don't think I clarified that in my episode 12 discussion. But when you have your tail coverage, and if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it because this is a good stopping point to go do that and come back to this show. And we're at 10 minutes and 43 seconds. Sorry, phone call. Um, so we're at 10 minutes, 40 some seconds. And um, you go back and listen to that other malpractice show, episode 12, and then come back and listen to this one. But it, the, the tail coverage question now is, what's the scope of practice that your insurance policy is going to cover? So if your scope of practice with, with a rheumatologist is one thing, and then you leave that company and your insurance policy with that company that was purchased for you, is in your name and you have your policy for rheumatology and your scope of practice is, is that, and you leave and go do family practice, your scope for family practice coverage may be different. So if you keep doing renewing your policy for your personal p protection as a nurse practitioner, but you change your scope of practice and your policy scope changes, then that's a different policy. So that, that may be a good idea where you actually have tail coverage for one and a new policy for another, and the policies actually overlap. So that, that would be the instance where I could see it having a tail policy as well. And that was a good point, and I didn't even think about that one. So I, I, I 
not that I was wrong, but I just didn't even think about it. It was a great hypothetical, and it, it really brought that to light. And I don't want to use the person's name, but kudos to you for having that comment out there, and I appreciate that. Um, some of the other ones in here, I'm seeing uh, a lot of discussion about uh, corporate attorneys saying, don't get your own policy because it's going to um, max out at the limit of – here's what it was. I was I'm not going to use exact words because I don't want to divulge who it is. But um, lawyers say don't get the insurance, your own insurance, because if you get sued, it caps out at what your employer has you on. Okay, And that that depends. That's a big question of depends because it caps out. If you get sued and you have your own policy and your company has a policy in your name, now you have two competing policies in your name. And it gets confusing. That's why I say you need in episode 12 to make sure that you have one policy in your name. You don't want multiple ones because they're going to point at each other and say, we don't, we don't cover that. And they both point at the other guy. And now it's a debate on who's going to pay for this while you're getting sued and you need an attorney and you need a, what a nightmare, right? That's exactly the situation you don't want. But if the company has a general policy in, or a, a liability policy and you're in a rider to that as a practitioner, then I think that I am going to have my own policy covering me individually, that is my recommendation. So it really depends on the type of policy we're talking about. There's no one size fits all policy out there, and there's a bunch of different types. So you got to make sure you're getting covered on that. Um, so the, the, here's the situation, though, right? Yeah, and you, where the competing ones, that's pretty easy to just say, "Oh crap, I got two policies out there," and you're getting. Why would you do that? It's stupid because you're, you have two policies. Now, the, where I think this statement is wrong is that it doesn't cap out on what your how was it said? Cap out of what your employer has on you. That's not true at all. That is absolutely not true at all. Because when you get sued for whatever you do wrong, the damages are the damages are the damages, period. If you're sued, not settled, sued. So if you get sued and you go through a trial and, the, and they find a judgment against you and it's this much damage, that's what it is. So it doesn't cap out on whatever it is. It caps out on your insurance will step in and pay whatever your premium or whatever your, your insurance policy limit is, and you owe the difference. So say you have a $1 million um, claims made policy, and you get sued for $1.2 million, and they get awarded $1.1 million. Your insurance will kick in the million to pay for that, and plus you know, then you have attorney's fees and everything else that you have to pay out of pocket. But let's just assume that it's $1.1 million of cost to you, and that includes your judgment and your legal fees and experts and all the, the other crap that's involved. You, your million kicks in, and then you have hundred grand you got to pay out of pocket for that claim. That's why I have a $2.6 million. <laughs> Right, so that's why you up your policy limits to make sure you're safe on those things. I don't plan on making big mistakes. Nobody does, but you never know, right? So, and that's what insurance is for. The big, the bigger thing here is with the capping issue. If you have a policy through your company that your company holds on you, and you have a, a judgment against you, and and um, say it's that 1.1 million dollars, and you have uh, a $1 million uh, policy through your employer that you are a rider to, 
that will kick in first. Your policy should kick in second. And it really depends on the wording in your contract in the policy. And I got to be honest, I haven't even looked at mine because I have one policy. I don't care really. I only go to one place for it. But if I had a company policy and a private policy, you bet your bottom dollar, I'm going to read both of those documents and see what they do to each other because it's in the words. The words matter. And that's where, if you're really worried about it, get the lawyer to look at it. If you're pretty educated on contracts and things, you can read this stuff pretty pretty plain language and get to the get to the information pretty quickly. So I wouldn't freak out about it, but if you have that situation, one of them's going to kick in first, the other one's going to kick in second, and you're going to get covered pretty good. Okay, it doesn't cap out with the limit, you know, one million. It's one million, and then your other one kicks in and covers the rest. But you want to read it because it may not, right? So you just got to make sure. Um, let's see what else I see in here. There was a couple back in exchange here of, um, let's see, what else? We got one more here. Oh, this was a good one. Uh, somebody was in Georgia. And in Georgia, the um, apparently, and I don't know this to be true, but the, the statute of limitations was one thing I talked about in the... Um, um, the last show. Okay. And the policy reason is that we want to stop people from having the ability to sue people down the line and go listen to that one. I, it's a, it, I think that was a, even though I was tired when I did that one, it was a pretty good show. Um, but the other thing that the law does is they can statutorily limit the amount of damages set by, um, a claimant. So you hurt somebody they can only get a maximum amount of damages, period. It doesn't matter. You can't go, go any higher than that. Okay, and the policy idea of that is, um, you know, you, you shouldn't be able to put doctors in fear of doing anything at all. And also, uh, as far as treating people, you're going to only take the safest patients, so the sickest of the sick are not going to be cared for. That's one policy reason. And then the other reason is that um, when you when you set that limit, you're eliminating the potential fraudulent claims with really high damages. And we've all heard of the, the, um, um, the case with McDonald's and the spilling of the coffee. And I've, I've got opinions on both sides of that, that I agree with. So, um, you know, those people that say, well, she was really, really hurt. I agree. She was. And the other people saying, well, it was really, really a, a extravagant case of money and ridiculously expensive. Yeah, it was. But so, I mean, it, I, I kind of believe on both of the sides of that, but that's the other policy reason that you're going to have those limits in the amount that you can get awarded. But in some States, apparently, with nurse practitioners, they're not included in that statute. So you can get sued for that full amount, you know, that 100, you know, two, 300 million, 400 million for a claim, whereas it may cap out at, you know, $100,000 for a physician. We don't get that cap. So it just depends on the state. And I honestly don't know what it is in Ohio. And I'd have to go look that one up and see what the, um, what the number is, to be honest with you. I, I've never really looked up what the cap is. I know there is one. I know they put that in there, but, um, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's a pretty low number. I think it's like 10 grand or something. It's not a lot of money. So you, you can almost look at it in terms of how much insurance do you need based upon that, you know, so you could look at the cap in your state. So I kind of covered a, a handful of insurance things, just kind of cleaning up the, the malpractice stuff, but there's a ton of people giving their opinions on it. And, and to be honest with you, when you read them, if you know a little bit about insurance and you read them, you're like, Eesh, uh, that's, that's really maybe specific to you, but be careful. Don't listen to all these people and make judgments on that. And I encourage you, don't make judgments on what I'm saying. I'm trying to give my opinions and my understanding of things so that you can go do the research yourself. 
that's the key is that you have to become knowledgeable to be able to make these decisions. Um, now, the last thing I'm going to talk about today, and I'm not going to go long on it, but there, there's a lot of people that I've seen having some confusion about um, exempt versus non-exempt employee status. And it's it's a, a, a great discussion, and it, it was a great employment law class. that it, it was a lot of debate in that class about this exact issue. And it, it comes down to the, the, my favorite answer, right? And, and some of you guys are making jokes about it now, is that it's kind of my tagline, is it depends. It depends, right? It depends on the facts and what you're talking about. So here's the law. Wage and hour laws typically will state that an exempt person, exempt means you're exempt from wage and hour statutes. Wage and hour statutes dictate when a person that is full-time should get overtime is the basic function of that that law. So wage and hour says if you are a, a wage and hour employee, you get, after 40 hours, you get overtime and overtime shall be time and a half of your of your hourly rate. Period. And as an RN, we met that standard to be considered a wage and hour non-exempt employee. And it's weird, right? Because people say exempt, non-exempt. Exempt means you're not in the law. Non-exempt means you're in the law, which kind of seems counterintuitive when you when you you know if you're just first blush thinking about it. But if you really think about it, if I'm non-exempt, exempt means I'm kicked out, right? I don't. It doesn't apply to me. It was exempt. And non-exempt means it does. So non-exempt employees get that. Now, what dictates whether you're an exempt versus non-exempt employee? And there's a whole bunch of case law on this, and then there was a whole bunch of statutes, and it just depends on which what you're doing, right? So you have to look at the scope, and this was one of my comments in the Facebook thread. It really depends upon the scope of what the person is doing. So if you're a nurse practitioner, and the scope is that you are acting as a nurse practitioner, you're exempt, done, it's a done deal. And here's why. An exempt employee has decision-making authority in what you do for the course of your work. You're not told how to do it. You're not told what to do. You're not told when to do it, although you kind of are. But for the most part, it's I have autonomy in the ability to do what my daily job entails. And that's what the courts look at is how much control does somebody have over your day-to-day -day function? Okay, and it's the job classification, not you individually, which really sucks, right? Because if you work for an overbearing, you know, group and they dictate everything that you do, including punching in and punching out, then then you know it feels like you're in a, a, a non-exempt employee, but you're by the categorization of the law, you're an exempt employee. It's tough. It's just the way it is. Welcome to being a professional. And that's another thing that they used to look at is do you have higher level of education, training, knowledge, all that kind of stuff. So what they're trying to do is separate the people that work at, you know, Starbucks as a as a barista versus the people that are professionals. And that they, they use that. Some states use that as the standard. Do you have a professional license? Yeah, well, that's kind of puts you in exempt status. Some states said, no, it's based upon your day-to-day -day function. What do you do? And if you're told what to do and how to do it, then, you know, and there's a protocol on how you do everything, then, you know, if you work in CVS, you know, in, in one of these, these retail clinics, you're kind of told what to do, right? So it feels very like, man, I should be a non-exempt employee. It doesn't work that way. It's what the court says as a, as a profession, not what your job is. 
So that's kind of sucks, right? So that's kind of a quick description of what your exempt, non-exempt is. Um, but why does it matter? Well, exempt status, you get paid a quote-unquote salary. And there's a lot of confusion by laypersons about what salary means. Salary is just what you get paid for your work, period. It's a generic term. Certain people will put a connotation to salary as I get paid an annual salary and it doesn't matter how many hours that I work, I get paid that. It's, you know, I get paid $120,000 a year and it doesn't matter if I work 40 hours or 50 hours or 70 hours, I still get paid 120, period. And that's the connotation that's assigned to it. But that doesn't equate you to an exempt versus non-exempt status. Now, here's why. You could be a non-exempt person and have a contract that gives you overtime and time and a half. So they could say, you know what, we know you're an exempt person, but because we like you and love you and want you, we will treat you like an RN, even though you're an MSN with a nurse practitioner license. So some people will say, well, I get this. I get overtime as a nurse practitioner. And you say, well, that's probably just the corporate policy that they do that for everybody. But by law, they do not need to do that. It's just something nice. It's one of their perks. It's, it's an enticement to get you to go and work there and stay there. But it doesn't have, it's not a legally binding thing. Now, I've also seen some people out there saying, I get paid hourly, so I need to get out overtime in time and a half. Wrong. Completely wrong. Uh, hourly is just a way that they compute your salary. Now, it gets sticky, right? Because, well, if I work 30 hours a week and I'm salaried, do I get paid only 30 hours a week or do I get paid 40 hours a week or what is the contract? Blah, 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 blah. It gets confusing. And this is where you have to look at your state wage and hour laws. State wage and hour laws may be different, and I am not telling you what they are because uh, well, I'll tell you how it was in Ohio. A decade and a half ago or whenever it was that I was in law school, the way it worked was, and I, it could be very different now because I haven't looked it up since because I haven't had a need to, but it was... If you worked over half of the day, if you worked 4.1 hours of the day, you got paid for the whole day, was how it was written for uh, exempt employees. If you worked three hours, you didn't get paid for the day. That's just the way that the state wage and hour law says, you know what, for non-exempt employees, just to, to stop the fight. This is where that line's drawn in the sand. And it's probably different everywhere. And it may not even be that way anymore. So what you can do is if you're worried about that, you can make it more in the contract, but you can never reduce below the limitations of what the, 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 the state laws say. So for example, if you could just contract around the state wage and hour laws, Every employer would make every employee make a contract, especially ones where they've got more people that want to work there than they have um, job openings because they've got the negotiating power. They can make it whatever they want. So here would be the example for that, right? You have a guy who wants to go work at Burger King, and he really, really wants a job at Burger King. He loves Burger King, and there's about 30 people behind him or another 40 people in front of him that want to work at Burger King, and they got two positions open. Uh, I'm just, hypothetical, right? And so he gets to the front of the line and finally says, you know what, I want to work here, and I want to work here so bad that I'll do whatever it takes, and the guy puts a contract on and says, fine, you can't get overtime, and here's your hourly rate, period. 
You're salaried, quote unquote. We'll use the, the vernacular. You're a salaried employee. And he says, fine, I'll do it. And he works 60 hours a week and he gets paid for 40. You can't do that. That violates the wage and hour laws because you're limiting below what the minimum of the, the, the law requires. But And that's only because he's an, a non-exempt employee. But if he was an exempt employee, they'd be like, you're getting paid for your 40 hours. You're good. You meet the standard. That's the standard. So that's that's why I say it that way. So it really, really, really depends. And it, what really sucks is that that we're kind of in that, I don't want to say in between because we are professionals, um, but some of us out there feel that because we worked for 20 years in an RN fashion and we could really jack up our, our annual salary by picking up a couple extra shifts and make a lot more money doing that, I want to do that as, a, as an NP. It doesn't work that way. Welcome to being a professional. So that's why it's important to negotiate your contracts well in the first place because you can't make it up the other way. Some some may be out there. Now, here's, here's the deal. When I was an engineer, I was in mid-level management, and that gets even gray, even more gray, because the same guy with the same degree could be considered to be non-exempt, and some of them were considered to be exempt. It was even worse, right? And where do you draw that line? Because literally one day before, I could be considered an hourly employee and get paid on an hourly basis and um, get an overtime. You know, new engineers get that type of, of structure. And then when you get, you know, four or five years, maybe it's when you get your professional engineering license. Is it when you become mid-level management? When, when is that line drawn? And so, you know, I hit that same thing. I was making mo- good money and then I was making time and a half uh, straight time overtime. I wasn't getting time and a half, but they let us get straight time overtime and we were kind of in between. Right. And so I could get straight time overtime. But as soon as I hit the salary, when I hit management level, it was, here's your set rate. And Oh, by the way, I didn't really have any negotiating power. They said, here, here's your next position. You'll either take it or not. And if you want to go up the ladder, you take it. So, you know, I, I made less money after getting into a higher position consistently for the next couple of years after that was part of the reason I was just fed up with that field too, because you know, you work your, work your butt off for a long time and you get to that level and you expect that, you know, it's going to, it's going to be monetarily beneficial and it just, it's, you know, it's a, it's kind of a stagnant situation. So that's, that's the same thing with nurse practitioners, but at least with nurse practitioner, it's a different degree and it's a different license and there's different expectations as far as writing prescriptions and therapies and things like that. That um, you know, it's a little bit more clear understanding. So I, I hope that clears that up. Um, and maybe I just threw fire, you know, more fire and fuel on a, a bonfire, and and am just adding to the the confusion. But if I did, I apologize. Please, I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear questions and comments. I want to hear uh, concerns about what's going on out there. Um, not necessarily state-specific, but um, if you have a state-specific issue, other states might be doing the same thing. So we need to be talking about this stuff and getting it out there and uh, figuring out a way that we can work together to get this get get more scope of authority out there so we can be full scope of practitioners. So that being said, I am Jeff the NP dude. I'm sorry this is a little disjointed this afternoon. I'm I'm just trying to fit this in between things, and uh, but I'm, I'm still having a blast. I'm, I'm just having a great time. I'm seeing a lot of people out there, a lot of the same kinds of questions. So I'm just posting my my uh, audio files. Some of the things aren't answered in those. So please feel free have a listen to them. And if you know if your question or, or uh, situation is not not covered in that show. 
then let me know about it so that I can I can come back and do an update. And I'm, I plan on doing a lot of these. I, I still have a couple people on the hook to come and sit and just have a beer and bullshit. And I uh, hope I can get to do that soon. And I'm working on a, a couple other leads to try to get together with some professionals in other fields and see if we can talk about what it is that they do. And so that way maybe open our eyes and get a little bit different perspective of some of the other professionals out there and uh, how we can mesh better with them. So I just want to thank you guys. You guys, the late night people still aren't talking to me. I don't know if you're just listening and falling asleep with me or if it's somebody on the other side of the planet listening, but keep it up, man. You guys are crazy. Um, email Jeff at the NPDude.com. Don't hesitate. I'm getting a handful of emails probably every day and uh, just mostly, hey, good show type of stuff, but I want to hear questions. Uh, you can also get me at the NP Dude on Facebook. Don't forget to like and share as much as possible. That's how we're getting out there. So keep going with that. You guys are doing a great job. And then you can also comment underneath this episode in the comments section. Uh, when you do that, it's my understanding that you have to put your email in. I did one early on, and I think it still has to do that. And what you do, if you put in your email, what's cool about that is you will get updates of when I post my next show. So you kind of get an automatic update that way. So if you, for any other reason, want to just get uh, get copies of the show sent to you so you can just hit the hyperlink in your email, just put, hey, just say, hey, signing up, get the, the email list. That's all you got to put in there. Just put hi, whatever, or period, whatever. But you'll get put in there uh, in the comments section. So fill those in as well. And then don't forget, you guys can get me on iTunes and uh I don't have a way to track that, so I have a feeling that I've got more people doing some iTunes out there than, I, than I'm guessing. But um, tell your friends, tell family. I also want to do um, – so I just want to close with a big thank you, guys, and uh, have a good weekend, and we'll talk soon.